Welcome back to another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and today we're spending time with Alan Stein Jr. Alan Stein Jr. is a successful business owner and veteran basketball performance coach, and he spent 15 years working with the highest performing athletes on the planet, including NBA superstars Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Kobe Bryant. In his corporate keynote programs and workshops, Alan reveals how to utilize the same approaches in business that elite athletes use to perform at a world-class level. He delivers practical lessons that can be implemented immediately. His clients include American Express, Pepsi, Starbucks, Charles Schwab, and Penn State Football, among others. The strategies from Alan's book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best, are implemented by corporate teams and sports teams throughout the world. It is with great honor that we kick off today's conversation with Alan Stein, Jr. Alan, I got to tell you, man, I have admired you from afar. I love your work. I love your wisdom. And I love your humility with how you share your message. Uh, I know you're a person of faith. You're a father of three. And I got to tell you, it's just a real honor that you're spending some time with us today. So thanks for being here. Oh, my goodness. Well, the pleasure is all mine. I've been looking forward to this conversation since we put it on the calendar. So this will be a lot of fun. Well, I want to dive right into this mantra of Raise Your Game. You've got a best-selling book, and the title of the book is Raise Your Game. Many of our listeners have either read that book or know about that book. But I want to go deeper and understand Raise Your Game as a mantra in your life. So when you think about the mantra of raise your game, what does that mean to you and where did that mantra come from? In its most simplest form, it simply means be greater than you were yesterday, or at least make the attempt to be greater than you were yesterday. I mean, the goal should constantly be to progress and to improve. Um, now, there'll be some times where we flatline a little bit, we hit a little bit of stagnation. Uh, so it's not as important uh, that we improve every day, but it's the attempt. And, and to me, that's what Raise Your Game is all about. Uh, I certainly, uh, because I'm, I'm fascinated with wordplay and with language, uh, I wanted to draw on a word that had a connotation of sport because sport and basketball in particular uh, has been a foundation of my life ever since I was little. Um, but I, I believe that on some level, business is a game. Life is a game. Parenting is a game. And, and I want to raise my game in each of those areas. I love that. Well, people should know this about you too. You've done great work in sports, but you've also done great work in business. And you're someone that believes there's many parallels between those two worlds. You also talk about how there's parallels between the military and sports and business. So give us a window into that world. What do you see as commonalities between people who are trying to grow in business, sports, or as a, you know, a military person? Well, really, it comes down to uh, different traits. And I find that the traits that one needs to be successful in sports have such high utility that they're the same traits that you need to be successful uh, in business or in any area of life, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, sports to business, that crossover is where I've, I've spent my professional career. Uh, but these things, uh, these traits don't have any boundaries. I mean, there's crossover to every area of your life. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about my work is, you know, I, I took my original love of basketball and was able to work with some folks that really taught me a lot, some really impactful mindsets and habits and strategies. And then professionally, I redirect those over to the business world so that folks can run better businesses. But they certainly helped me as a father. You know, they, they helped me as a leader in the community. They helped me in every area of my life. Um, and those traits, you know, I mean, they, they, they start with humility, you know, and being coachable. 
You know, I believe that in order to be successful in any area of your life, uh, you want to earn the right to be confident through putting in work during the unseen hours. But no matter how good you get at something, you have to remain humble and you have to remain open to coaching and open to new ways of doing things. And, and, and certainly humility is a trait, you know, that, that we can benefit from in any area of our life. I'm also a huge believer in focusing on the basics and the fundamentals. You know, we hear the word fundamentals all the time in sports. Uh, and in basketball, you know, the fundamental skills of the game of shooting, passing, rebounding, defending and handling the ball. But there are fundamentals in business as well. There are fundamentals in mm. leadership. Uh, and it's important that we never leave those, that we continue mm. to focus on those and work towards mastery of the basics every single day. Well, it's been said that common knowledge isn't always common practice, you know, and you embody that, right? So much of your work is bringing people back to the basics and the fundamentals. I want to talk about teams. Uh, when you work with great teams, you talk about this idea of cohesion and connectivity. Tell us more about what cohesion means to you and how you show up uh, or how, how that shows up in some of the greatest teams that you work with. I think when it comes to leadership and it comes to being a great teammate, the most important quality is that you care, that, that you care about the person next to you. You care about the mission and the vision. You care about the work that you do. You care about the, the, the core beliefs and the values that you have. So it all has to start uh, with caring. So, you know, I, I love alliterations. And like I said before, I love wordplay. So there's an entire list of words that begin with C, you know, that are all somewhat interrelated, but it starts with caring. And when you care, you can create cohesion. You have better communication. You know, you're, you're able to create a, a, a better chemistry. And all of those things will lead to a winning culture. And, and to me, that's what's most important. Uh, one of the, the best questions uh, you can ask yourself when you're a part of a team or an organization or you're a part of something bigger than yourself is, am I the type of teammate that I want to play with? And I think that's a really important self-reflective question to ask. You know, if I were to ask you, Jordan, you know, I, I want you to think of the best teammate that you've ever had. Uh, it could be somebody you work with presently. It could be somebody you played Little League with 20 years ago. But I want you to think of the traits that they embody. And maybe you come up with a list of seven or eight or nine traits. And then my next question would be, well, how well are you doing those things? You know, if those are the traits of the best teammate you've ever had, what are you doing to be the best teammate that other people have had? And I'm also a firm believer that if you're going to expect it of a teammate, you have to expect it of yourself first. And, and I realize that the way you may demonstrate some of those traits might be different than someone else. But if you believe that your teammates should be enthusiastic, then you need to make sure you bring enthusiasm to everything you do. Now, the way you display your enthusiasm might be different than the way I display it. You know, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a rah-rah cheerleader type, but if you think that enthusiasm is important to the team and important to being a good teammate, then you need to exude that and you need to bring that every single day when you show up. I love what you just said about self-awareness. And at Montgomery Companies and our consulting firm, we believe that self-awareness is the beginning of all personal growth and development. And it's also been said that feedback is the breakfast of champions, right? We got to get feedback in order to become more self-aware. So again, whether you're working with an athlete, you're working with a business leader, when you think about this idea of increasing our awareness, whether it be situational awareness, self-awareness, Alan, where do you see that journey begin? Well, we're in perfect alignment, which I knew we'd have a wonderful conversation. I knew we had so many similarities. You know, self-awareness is the first chapter of my book for a reason, uh, because it's the foundation to which the rest of the house is built. You know, it's that starting point. And, 
you know, self-awareness is an interesting one. First and foremost, like I just want to put some parameters and some guardrails up to kind of define it the way that I see it. Uh, certainly self-awareness is knowing what it is that you do well, knowing your inherent talents and your strengths and your dreams and your goals. But it's also having the courage to look on the other side of the curtain and be able to admit with transparency and vulnerability your opportunities for growth, your weaknesses, your fears, your insecurities, the things that might hold you back or undermine your ability to be happy or successful. And it's so important uh, that you can pay attention to and be aware of both sides of that so that you can make the necessary changes and pivots. But where, where we want to take self-awareness to another level is making sure that the evaluation that you have of yourself is accurate and that it's in alignment and matches the way the rest of the world sees you. And this is not about pandering for someone's approval or affection. This is making sure that the, the grade you give yourself on your self-report card is in alignment with the grade that others would give you. So here's a perfect example. Uh, if I asked you, Jordan, if you're a good listener and you said, yes, Alan, I'm a great listener, but I ask the five people in the world that know you the best and they all say, oh, no, Jordan is an awful listener. He's like talking to a rock. That would mean you lack self-awareness. You think you're a really good listener and the rest of the world disagrees. As funny as it may sound, if I said, Jordan, are you a good listener? And you said, Alan, you know what? This is a real opportunity for growth for me, that, that I'm not near the listener that I need to be. Uh, it's something that I have to improve on. And then I asked the five people closest to you and they said, yeah, Jordan's not a very good listener. He's like talking to a rock. That would actually mean you had very high self-awareness. You are aware of the fact that at present, listening is not one of your strongest traits. And it's that awareness that's key. So this is not about being good at everything. And this is certainly not about striving for perfection. It's just knowing the good, the bad, and the ugly that makes up who you are so that you can then navigate accordingly. Love that response. And we're in total alignment with the beginning of personal growth and development, where it begins, where it starts. I want to talk about your start in the beginning of your journey, because someone might beg the question, you know, here's Alan Stein Jr., this coach who's working with some of the best of the best in business and in sports. And I think about your work with Kevin Durant and Kobe Bryant. But if we go back in your journey or to the early stages, Alan, and I said, I, I just so much admire your humility. You're willing to admit, like, I wasn't like the all-American division one you know, basketball player. I didn't play in the final four, you know, like I wasn't a first round draft pick yet. You belong in the room, right? When you talk about evaluating and developing top talent, you know, and I know, and the world knows that you belong in that room and you're doing it at the highest level. So what would you say to someone who's maybe at the beginning of a journey has a really big vision for what they want to accomplish, but maybe feels like they don't have the credibility or the resume to be in that room or belong in that circle. What's your message? Well, to take the humility a step further, not only was I not a D1 player in the final four, I was sitting on the far end of the bench at a very small division two school. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you know my, my thoughts with that are, first of all, playing and coaching are completely separate crafts. You know, yes, there's some parallel. Uh, yes, I believe that if you played the game, that might be able to increase your empathy when you're working with a player because you've walked the world and you've seen the world the way that they've seen it. Um, but, but they're completely separate crafts, which is why just because you're an elite level player in any sport does not automatically mean you're going to be a great coach. You know, I, I would never say anything disparaging on someone else's show, but we could come up with a long list of really good players that were not very good coaches. And it's true in the business world as well. 
I can't tell you how many times an organization makes the mistake of saying, you know, Jordan is a world-class sales professional for us. He can sell anything to anyone. And because he's so good, I'm going to promote him to being a manager. He's now going to be the sales leader. And that might not be where your strengths lie. You know, leading others in selling, yes, there are certain traits that, that, are, that have high utility, but they're not the exact same. So what I might do in that instance is take you out of the, the prime position where you're at your best, put you in a different seat on the bus, and now you're not going to be near as successful because that's just not what you're very good at. So for me, I, I never worried about that. I knew that, that being a player and then being a performance coach um, were completely separate. And same thing when I made the leap over to the corporate world. You know, that those are separate skill sets. And I've always been working towards mastery of the craft that I'm in and getting in, as I know you love, the repetitions during the unseen hours to earn the right to be good at something like that. And I would be very transparent with the players I'd work with. You know, even when I was working with kids at the high school level, you know, I'm in my late 20s and early 30s. And I would joke with them and say, I sure hope you're going to be a better basketball player than I was. I hope you can run faster and jump higher than I can. But that doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm talking about. So, um, you know, for me, it was something that I never ran from. I just leaned into the fact. Uh, and I also understand, and, and, and I love the self-deprecation of me joking around that, hey, I was on the end of the bench at a Division II school. But, but I also recognize that if you play college basketball at any level, you are in the upper 1% of people that ever dribble, dribble a basketball. So with that being said, it's all relative. You compare my career to Kevin Durant, and yeah, I mean, I'm an ant. But you compare my career to the, the average person that never plays past high school, and, and I was still a fairly decent player. So it's important to, in everything we do to keep these things in proper perspective. I would refer to that as confident humility, and you've got a lot of it, right? And, and confident humility is such a skill in business. It's also a, a trait that we look for in, in leaders, you know, and high-level leaders. I want to stay on the topic of leadership. Uh, you've been quoted as saying that most or many high-level coaches in the world of sports could also be high-level CEOs in business. When you think about all of the coaches, all the people that you've been exposed to, Alan, in the world of sports, who would you handpick as the CEO of a company that you are starting? What coach stands out as maybe the top leader or would-be leader in business? I'm going to preface this by saying I'm incredibly biased, and that is because I've been drinking the Coach K Kool-Aid for my entire career, and I'm a huge disciple of Coach K, the head coach for Duke men's basketball, uh, and yes, beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, I believe he could take over any corporation uh, in the world and, and could continue, they could not only raise their game, but sustain it as well, and anything that he would lack as far as industry-specific knowledge or something specific to that business he's smart enough to delegate and or hire someone else that could do that part. So I'm not saying that Coach K knows everything there is to know about tech or everything there is to know about the hospitality industry or everything there is to know about you know, financial services, but I know that he understands leadership. He understands how to build winning cultures. He understands discipline and habits. So he would assemble the people that would make sure that they knew what they were doing in tech or hospitality or financial services. Uh, but even though I've been drinking the Duke Kool-Aid the longest, I mean, there, there's a dozen others that immediately pop up uh, that I know would, would do a remarkable job for those same reasons. And that's because leader, good leadership is good leadership. It knows no boundaries. Building a winning culture, it, it takes the same recipe to do that in a locker room as it does in a boardroom. And, and certainly, 
you know, the scale is a little bit different, you know, getting 15 players to buy into your, your core beliefs is different than getting 15,000 employees of a company to do the same thing. Um, but they're still the same principles. And, and to me, that's, uh, you know, that's what's ultimately most important. So I have no doubt uh, that someone like Coach K or a whole host of others that, that we could talk about would be incredibly successful in that position. Good leadership knows no boundaries. I love that. I want to make sure our listeners caught that. One of the things that makes you a gifted speaker, Alan, is you're a gifted storyteller. And you got a lot of stories to tell, right? You just think about all the time you spent with people that many admire and look up to for their achievement, their accomplishment. I'd love it if you would pull back the curtain and maybe let our listeners in on a story or two when working with the world's best that has really stood out to you and your journey of high performance. Be happy to. And I've got a whole host of signature stories that, that I tell in all of my, my programs. Um, but the reason that I lean on storytelling is because of its stickiness. You know, the number one goal, as you know, I mean, the number one goal of a speaker is to make sure that the message you're sharing sticks, that, that you're not just there for a 30 or 40 minute rah-rah session, that you want to say something that actually moves the needle and is going to get someone to change their behavior. You know, that's my ultimate goal is I want, when I'm done speaking, whether it's virtually or in person, I want people to think and act differently than when they came in. You know, I either want to reinforce a, a conviction that they already believed or challenge some of the conventional thoughts that they had, but I wanna get them to, to actually change their behavior. Because if you keep doing what you've been doing, you will keep getting what you've been getting. If you don't like what you've been getting, you need to change what you've been doing. And, and to me, that's really important. And I found that story uh, is a great way uh, to do that. It's a great conduit to change as long as the story is applicable and that there's a lesson at the end of it. Mm. Uh, I don't tell stories just for the sake of telling stories. And I don't just tell them because I enjoy it. I tell them because I want it to be something that sticks with the audience, that they directly tie to a lesson or a habit or a change of behavior. Uh, and, and that's ultimately what's most important. Um, the, the story I'm probably best known for was for the first time I, I met Kobe Bryant. And, and I'll be happy to tell that story in just a moment. But, but here's the power of this. Uh, obviously, we all are aware that, that we lost Kobe Bryant you know, just over a year ago. Uh, it, it feels really weird saying the word anniversary when something bad happened. I guess it's more of the one-year milestone of when it happened. Um, but, but one of the most touching parts of that was when that happened, I cannot tell you how many emails, DMs, and text messages I got from people that I had never actually met that just said, hey, I was in the audience at this one event. I remember the Kobe story that you told us, uh, and that actually had an impact on me. Like they, they might not have remembered very much from anything else that went on during that event, but they remembered that story and they remembered the lesson from the story. And certainly that's a testament to Kobe Bryant and, and paying forward, you know, being a steward to pay forward his legacy. But it also just reminds me that stories are what will change people's emotional state and get them to behave differently. I think there's a time and a place for statistics. You know, I think there's definitely a time and a place for humor and some other tools that we can use, but a really good story connected to a lesson will change behavior. And, and to me, that that's what's most important. No, no question. I think story activates the brain at a higher level. You know, there's just no question about it. So with that said, you said you'd kind of walk us through the first time you met Kobe, right? That's the natural next question is tell us about that story. Well, it was back in 2007 and Nike flew me out to Los Angeles to work the first ever Kobe Bryant Skills Academy. 
So Nike decided to bring in the top high school and college players from around the country for an intense three-day minicamp with the best player in the world. And for any of your listeners, Jordan, that don't follow basketball as closely as I do, all you have to know is that in 2007, Kobe was the best player in the game. Well, as I've already mentioned earlier in our conversation, you know, basketball was one of my first loves. Uh, and here, for 40 years after I fell in love with the game, basketball is still a, a major passion of mine. And having grown up in this basketball bubble, I had always heard this urban legend of how insanely intense Kobe's individual workouts were. Well, when I found myself on his camp staff, I figured this is my chance. This is my shot. So at my earliest opportunity, I walked up to Kobe and asked if I could watch one of his private workouts. He was incredibly gracious and he smiled and he said, sure, man, no problem. I'm going tomorrow at four. Well, I got a little bit confused because I had just got done looking through the camp schedule and the camp schedule clearly said that the first workout with the players was the following day at 3.30. Well, Kobe recognized that confused look on my face and clarified that with, yeah, that's 4 a.m. Well, I wasn't smart enough or quick enough to come up with a reason on why I couldn't be somewhere at four in the morning. So I basically committed myself to being there. And I decided if I was going to be there anyway, I may as well try and impress Kobe. I may as well show him how serious of a trainer I was. So I came up with the plan to beat him to the gym. So I set my alarm for 3 a.m. The alarm goes off. I jump up. I get myself dressed. I hop in a taxi and I head to the gym. When I arrive, it's pitch black outside. I mean, it's 3.30 in the morning. And yet the moment I step out of the taxi, I can see that the gym light's already on. From the parking lot, I could faintly hear a ball bouncing and sneakers squeaking. I walk in the side door. Kobe's already in a full sweat. See, he was going through an intense warm-up before his formal workout with his trainer started at four. Out of professional courtesy, I didn't say anything to Kobe and I didn't say anything to his trainer. I just sat down to watch. And for the first 45 minutes, I was shocked. For the first 45 minutes, I watched the best player on the planet do the most basic footwork and offensive moves. Kobe was doing stuff that I'd routinely taught to middle school age players. Now, don't get it twisted. This is Kobe Bryant. So he was doing everything in an unparalleled level of intensity and everything with surgical precision, but the stuff he was doing was incredibly basic. Well, his whole workout continued for another couple hours. And when it was over, once again, I did not say anything to him and I didn't say anything to his trainer. I just quietly left. But my curiosity kept nipping away at me and eventually got the best of me. I just had to know. So later that day at camp, I went up to him again and said point blank, Kobe, I don't get it. You're the best player in the world. Why are you doing such basic drills? And he smiled and winked, but he said with all seriousness, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? Because I never get bored with the basics. I never get bored with the basics. Kobe Bryant, the best player on the planet and someone that has truly mastered his craft said his secret is that he never gets bored with the basics. And as obvious as that may be to you right now, Jordan, and as obvious as that may be to your listeners, that was a life-changing moment for me. Because in that moment, I realized that just because something's basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Those are not synonyms, and yet people often use those words interchangeably. Just because it's basic doesn't mean it's easy. If it was easy, everyone else would be doing it. And you know, Jordan, that, that we live in a world that tells us it's okay to skip steps tells us we should always be looking for a shortcut or a hack, tells us we should be so fixated on the outcome and the results that we forget about how important the process is. But when you do those things, you're making a huge mistake. And that's because the basics work. 
They always have and they always will. And it doesn't matter what area of your life you're trying to improve, whether it's personal or professional, whether it's individual or organizational, the very first step to improving performance is to admit that the basics work, but it's also having the humility to acknowledge that implementing them every single day is never ever going to be easy. Couldn't agree more with everything that you just shared, Alan. And it goes back to common sense is not always common practice, right? And success is the natural consequence of applying the basics and the fundamentals. And you've lived that out, man. You're living it, you're teaching it, you're training people in that direction. And I love that you're willing to go back to the things that are tried and true, the things that are timeless. Uh, ben Newman, again, is a mutual friend of ours. And Ben always says, simple, not easy, right? And I, I, I love that you're willing to stay on the things that are simple. Because I think when people look at you, they want like the magic, right? Or the special sauce or the extra stuff. And I love that you have the courage to bring them back to the things that are simple, tried and true. Uh, Alan, where can our listeners find you? So if somebody wants to know more about Raise Your Game, your podcast, your work with athletes or in business, where can people go to find out more about Alan Stein Jr.? I have two different websites. I have allensteinjr.com, which is primarily focused on speaking. Uh, and then I've got strongerteam.com, which are all of the other resources. Uh, I have an online course, a book, as you mentioned, the podcast. Uh, and I try and be really accessible on social media. Uh, I'm just at Allenstein Jr. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I love uh, continuing the conversation after a wonderful show like this and, and engaging with folks. So anyone listening, uh, if there's something that struck a chord that you want to talk about, or even if you want to debate a point or, or just continue the conversation in general, just shoot me a DM or, or holler at me on social or, or through one of the inquiries on the website, would be honored to do it. Well, you are personally one of my favorite follows on social media. So uh, I'll say it directly for our listeners. If you're not following Alan Stein Jr., you need to go follow him. Uh, you've built a huge following on Twitter. I think you've got over 100,000 followers on Twitter. I know you do a lot on Instagram. You post on a regular basis. I've taken so much from you just from the stuff that you share on social media. So I appreciate you, Alan, spending some of your very valuable time with us and imparting some words of wisdom. I look forward to a continued relationship and friendship for many years to come. And from the bottom of my heart, from our partners at Montgomery Companies and all of our listeners, I want to again say thank you for spending some time with us. Absolutely, my pleasure, thank you. This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. We'd ask that you would like, share, or subscribe to this podcast so that we can move our mission forward and impact more listeners. We also wanna say thank you to Alan Stein for sharing some incredible words of wisdom with us today. And say thanks as well to our producer, John Choate at Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that he does behind the scenes to make these episodes go. Have a great day and be well.